As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Gladwell. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all off-season long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic, and I am joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the vice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. And Doug, we made it. We made it through another season. I've been staggering around America on no sleep for three weeks now. But I'm actually breathing in and breathing out in the right order. So that's good on my end. That's How's everything in your world? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the um, delirium is, is definitely there, but it's a baseball delirium, and I, that makes me proud. Just hitting every city in the United States of America. <laughs> I didn't go to Canada, so that was that was a bonus. Yeah. Um, but I, I do love Canada, but I just knew it would be tough on the travel. So, I, um, yeah, Cleveland was interesting, San Diego, L.A. Uh, where else was I? Philly. <laughs> I, don't know I, I don't even know where I am right now, let alone where you were. So I just take your word for it, okay? Um, all right, let me tell you about my world, okay? I, I always feel like every once in a while, uh, we should draw back the curtain, let people in on how our crazy lives work during uh, the po- postseason. So I'm just going to give you an example. Uh, in game four, uh, my World Series Weird and, Weird and Wild column in The Athletic, I threw in a Dusty Baker note that I'd forgotten to use in my Game 3 column about how he'd become the oldest manager ever to win a World Series game. And so I casually mentioned in the column it might have something to do with brain fog at 3 a.m. So the next day, 
uh, just walking around the ballpark in Philadelphia. And one of the stadium workers says to me, are you really writing at 3 a.m.? <laughs> so I, I didn't even want to admit to him that 3 a.m. would be an early night for me during the World Series. But think about it. Right? The games end at, what, midnight. We spend an hour in the clubhouses and the interview rooms afterwards. And just think of all the time it takes to go through all the interviews, all the research I've been doing all night, and then write a few thousand words. I, I literally write all night uh, during the World Series. And so after game six, I wrote until what would have been 6 a.m. in the East. So that was crazy enough. But of course, I wasn't in the East. I was in the central time zone and it was the end of daylight savings time. So imagine trying to keep track of what time it actually was. As I'm writing, first my laptop time, which is still set to Eastern time, that flips back an hour, right? So it's like 1.45 a.m. Now all of a sudden it's 1.04 a.m. Okay. And I'm not in that time zone at all. Right now I'm still writing. My watch flips back an hour. And so... It was so late <laughs> as I kept on typing. I started to feel like the universe was just messing with me, Doug. How am I supposed to maintain my inner body clock when the actual c- clock keeps changing? Does this seem like a healthy way to live? What am I doing? Well, I, everything can be solved by French toast at any hour. So I, I would recommend <laughs> that. Then, um, I mean, I do wonder... Uh, if we do colonize Mars, what time zone would it be in? It is our opportunity to make a whole planet on the same time zone. And then maybe that would solve a lot of problems. So you could move to Mars and start an expansion team there. I think I think Rob Manford would be completely up for it. And uh, Or you have to get some rest somehow. I don't know how, because I, I, I feel you, man. I don't... You know, you know how it is like during the playoffs, you're like, oh, if you have all these if then statements going through your head, if the Padres win and the Phillies <laughs> lose and you're like your flights, you're trying to change. You have no idea where you are, what you're doing, who you're talking to. And uh, and it's amazing because baseball is just going as loud as ever. So, yeah, man, I feel your pain. Um, but this is why we dissect. This is our season review. We know that once we do this one, we're we're home for a little while and that's that, until the winter meeting <laughs> we, we are i don't know it's amazing what adrenaline can do it just carries you through that whole postseason oh, um yeah. all right let look let's talk about that world series and about what's coming up on this show uh you might have heard the astros won the world series i just mm-hmm. wrote a column about their place in history uh you can read it in the athletic it's got like two billion reader comments from people who don't seem ready to recognize any aspect of the greatness of that team. So this week, uh, we will talk to the great TBS broadcast team, uh, Brian Anderson and Ron Darling, uh, about what we should all make of the Astros. It'll be fantastic. But first, I want to talk about the storyline in that World Series that is not nearly that controversial. It's one that is near and dear to Doug Glanville's heart because it involves the winning manager, Dusty Baker. And Doug, Dusty finally won himself a Mm -hmm. World Series after all these years, all the October heartbreak. And of all the people I know in the world, I don't know anyone better 
to tell us all what that means than you, my friend. So I'm just going to get out of the way and let Doug Glanville tell us the meaning of Dusty Baker winning the World Series. Yeah, Jay. I mean, well, I, for me personally, I it was like a proud son moment. I think, you know, you have to remember that I came to Dusty as a player after my father had died the last game of the season in 2002. And it was a game I got my 1,000th hit of my career. So that offseason, the first thing I did, you know, it wasn't a season of working out or going home. It was to bury my dad, you know. And so that was a hard way to go in. And I knew I was looking for something different. And I didn't know I'd get to Chicago because I signed with Texas and got traded to the Cubs. And, you know, you talk about looking for a father figure at a given moment. That was that was the moment. And Dusty was, you know, the right person. And, you know, I wasn't playing a lot and I, I certainly wanted to play more. But Dusty, you know, we always talked a lot. He was looking out for me. And that sort of started our relationship. So I kept in touch with him, you know, after we got knocked out in 03. And we, um, you know, always had chances to come across each other with ESPN. And so, you know, I've come to get to know him well. And Dusty was always sort of the the universal spirit of, of our shared humanity, right? He wanted us to be one family. And that's how he approached his teams, the ability to see everybody as a as part of this family, but also from people that you can learn from. I, it was always impressive to see a manager that took the time to say, look, I want to know more about you so I could get better. I want to learn your music and your food and your culture. And he was so perfect for a baseball clubhouse that was composed of players from all over the world. I mean, you always knew that that was a strength of his. And more importantly, as a player, you, you, you welcomed it because it was like coming home. And when you have a locker room full of people that are always away from home, that's such a nice respite, it's a nice place to be. And Dusty was the king of that. And, and so, you know, I think the description I think of was really a godfather because he was, had so many sons, but he also was a spiritual leader in many ways. And I think that the way he's approached the game, consistent, you know, always positive. It reminds me of the Negro League players that you met over the years that never had like a negative thing to say, even though they were part of segregation and all these things, Jim, Jim Crow, they still were like positive about being able to do something they loved. And Dusty embodied that. And, and it probably helped that he came across Hank Aaron's of the worlds and, and span generations where he comes up in the 60s where you're talking about civil rights movements and he's still coaching through George Floyd. And, you know, so I think the elements of race are so personal to me because, you know, Dusty is so representative of that journey, the winding journey sometimes of, of like black opportunity, you know, the doubters and the questions and the racialization of your skills, the, the sense of if you do make it, it's affirmative action or all those things that kind of collide personally over Dusty and seeing him win felt like it was like the elixir, you know, it was the ability to say, okay, you know, like, Obviously, he's been highly successful, but he's had to go through these journeys of getting fired after winning 90 plus games and not even getting interviewed. And the only job he could get was to clean up one of the worst messes in 100 years in baseball in the 2017 Astros. So that, you know, all those things became personal, too. But I also know that Dusty wanted to elevate those experiences and examples for all of us, uh, I think. And that's what's so powerful about him, because he can address inequalities but in a way that's really harmonious. He wants to bring people around the idea that we're hurting each other if we're diminishing the value of anybody for whoever they are. And and I think that's so powerful for what he 
always showed us as a, as a manager and a, as a leader of men. And so him winning really brought it all back together and elevated something that the game should be celebrating. You know, you, you know Jackie Robinson had his day and his legacy is still part of it. But here's someone on the management, the leadership side, during times where there's so much thinning of that opportunity, that diversity of black players at the top who are managing teams. And so when you have him win and dispel a lot of myths in some ways, maybe symbolically, it means a lot. And, it, and it's not just for any particular identity. It's, there's just the fact that he was always uh, accessible to everyone. And so, you know, I think Dusty recognizes that. And I love what he said about how, although I can't put it into words right now, I know that I was important to so many people. And it really means more because it wasn't just ball players or it was all peoples of all walks of life. And particularly someone I might see on the streets that I would see every day as a manager. He said that uplifting all these people makes me realize how important my contribution and what I represented. So representation matters. And, and it matters in a game that should open its arms to everyone. And Dusty is the perfect ambassador for that. Yeah, I, you know, I wasn't writing specifically about Dusty on Saturday night. But when I saw him go into the interview room, uh, I followed him because I wanted to hear him talk about this moment. And Doug, he was so happy Saturday night and he was so eloquent about his journey and it was so cool to hear him reflect on everything he was thinking about in that moment. You know, he mentioned his dad. He mentioned his mom. He mentioned Hank Aaron. He mentioned Don Baylor and all the people who had been in his corner along the way. Um, he spoke about what you just mentioned, uh, the, the declining numbers of blacks and minorities in baseball and what this could mean for them and more managers uh, minority managers in in the dugout. I, it was honestly, I, I thought it was mesmerizing just to sit in the same room and listen to him reflect on this moment in his life because I've been through so many of the other moments with him. And, and he handles those moments so well, but it's painful because they mount up over the years. And so on every level, every level, this was incredible. Um, but just the personal level, what it meant to him, his wife, his son, Darren was there, uh, in the room. Uh, Craig Biggio like went out of his way to come sit in the room and just be there for him. You know, it was just the, the, the outpouring for Dusty Baker at that moment was so special. I'll, I'll never forget that part of it. And look, I, I know there will never be a time when most people in America will be happy for the Astros or will want to acknowledge what they have accomplished, uh, even since they threw out the trash can lids. But how can you not be happy for Dusty Baker? Because what a special human being. Uh, it was just great. Um, and so here's what I'd like to do. Uh, why don't we bring in two more special human beings to talk about this some more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, Doug, I always like it when they're in the presence of greatness, and we are definitely in the presence of two of the greatest baseball broadcasters in America today. It's the voices of TBS, Brian Anderson and Ron Darling. Gentlemen, welcome to Starkville. What a setup. Well, great wow. to be here. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I, feel, I feel like this is going to be a disappointment, I know. Brian. <laughs> Ron and I have been like attached at the hip for the last two weeks, so Jason's just pulling <laughs> us back in to test our friendship. Right there. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You guys love hanging out with, with each other. I know that. And No, 100%. Nobody yeah. I'd rather and, hang and, out with more than with Ron Darling. Talk about the 86 Mets. I, among other things. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All good. It, w- one of the things that Brian and I, uh, why we have a good relationship, is we never talk about the 86 Mets. <laughs> so, That's true. That's true. Okay. Well, we'll keep that in mind. I promise not to ask you about the 86 Mets today. <laughs> Thank okay. you. Uh, also, you know, Brian's been here before, but Ronnie, I believe it's your first visit to Starkville. So after the show, you should check with Glanville. He'll be happy to point out the big tourist destinations in town. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes, yes. Definitely. Uh, I feel like I've known you guys forever, so this is a, just a fun chat with Buddy. Yeah. And yes. all, all guests get a statue uh, built in their honor in Starkville. So. Oh, very oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, very nice. Yeah, so we have like 700 of them now. Doug builds them himself. <laughs> You're a little behind, aren't you, Doug? Yeah, it's paper mache <laughs> always works really well. Is this is this like the uh, Ned Beatty character in Superman, where he was asking, you know, when they destroy the world, that he'll get like, you know, a somingville uh, <laughs> named in his honor, right. Ronnieville. <laughs> Ronnieville's a suburb of Starkville. (laughs) Glenville's whole life is a ville. That's right. That's a good point. It's a good point. Of course, if you're in the south where I'm from, it's Vol. So it's more like Starkville. That's right. Glenville. Glenville. I'm using that. I like it. We're going to do that. I like it. Uh, You know, it's funny. Yesterday, uh, Brian sent me a photo of your TBS booth. And of course, you're not the only two people in there. Also pictured were Jeff Rancour and Lauren Shahadi. And we love them both. But do we love you two wow. more? Apparently we did. They didn't right? get the invite, Ron. I, I, we're. I feel like, you know, we have to stand up for Lauren and Frenchie here on this on this version of Starkville. Hey, listen. Let me tell you this. Lauren Shahadi doesn't have time to come on Starkville. <laughs> that lady works more than anyone I know. And Frenchie today, just like Frenchie's life would, one hundred percent, you would think it would be like is on a plane to Cabo with his lovely wife, and they're going to have a beautiful time. So we're here hanging out. Those two are fine. Yes, we, we're on a group text together, and we always kind of make fun of each other. And, you know, mostly we make fun of Frenchie. But, uh, yeah, he's living the good life right now. So I just got back from an NBA game, 
and uh, Ronnie's on dad duty, and uh, you know he's got to be at the bus stop here in a minute. So that's 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 why we're available. We just happen to be available. Okay, Jason. <laughs> okay. Well, whatever. We're grateful that you are. So why don't we talk about the Astros? Uh, you guys called the ALCS uh, when the Astros bludgeoned the '99 win Yankees. Uh, swept them, went on to win the World Series in six games over the Phillies, second title in six years. Uh, I, I just wrote a long column for The Athletic examining the Astros' place in history, which is a really interesting question. But let me ask you guys, what would you tell the baseball fans of America is the right way to think about the Astros of the last six seasons? Uh, Ronnie, let's start with you. Boy, that's a that's such a difficult question. Um, yeah. You know, you know, in, in some ways, there was never a team more built to handle the three games in Philadelphia more than the Houston Astros. Uh, Philadelphia had uh, one of the great home field advantages in recent history uh, to me. Um, and this Houston team, which has been uh, booed and and. Uh, um, treated whatever way they wanted to be treated since uh, uh, the 2017 um, conflagration, uh, cheating scandal. Um, they were ready for this, like no one's ever been ready for it. Um, but more importantly, it's very hard to sustain great success in this league. We saw the Chicago Cubs, they had their run. And uh, now all of those great players are somewhere else, including Schwarber in Philadelphia. This team has sustained the run. They have lost Correa, Springer, Garrett Cole, Zach Greinke. I can go on and on and on. And they're still great each and every year uh, for the last six World Series they've been in. And I think that um, we really should. And if you want to take one of the years out, that's fine with me. Uh, if if uh, if you're that vindictive, um, but I, I think that we really have to put them uh, in their proper place as one of the great organizations and teams, um, not only of recent note, um, but they go up there with um, they're in the same discussion as as the Oakland Athletics in the early '70s. I don't think uh, that they're up there with the Big Red Machine uh, because that was a special different kind of ball club. Um, but they're in the discussion when you start to talk about uh, 100 years from now, who are the great teams, organizations of all time? They're up there. Yeah, I, I mean, I did a lot of research on this. I'll, I'll share it with you guys in a, in, a, in a minute. But Brian, what do you think? You know, I think um, had the Astros fallen, and so Ronnie and I did the series in two, 2020 when we were in the bubble, and they didn't have a great season, the pandemic-shortened season, but they did get by the Oakland A's in the LDS. They made it to our version of the bubble in San Diego, and we weren't sure what that was going to be like. The Tampa Bay Rays were, you know, a favorite in that series. Tampa Bay won that series. And then, you know, we I remember having these conversations with Ron and Frenchie and Lauren and our production crew. This might be the last we see of the Astros. Um, and And it wasn't. So I think in that context, because they've been so great since and they've maintained this level of play, um, I, we've had many discussions about how we were going to present the Astros and talk about their history on our own broadcast the last three years. And 
we've all kind of come to the consensus that uh, it needs to be mentioned. It's part of their history. It happened. Uh, they got punished for it. And this version has nothing to do with that, I would say, and especially the 22 version. And I think Ronnie's right because they're so uh, they're so battle tested, <clears throat> not being uh, like they they've kind of adopted and accepted being the villain wherever they go on the road. They're beloved in Houston. Their crowds are loud and raucous, and they love their Astros. Um, so then they get to go on the road, and then they're kind of used to it. So they're hardened by what they've been through and. I think maybe the most important piece to that puzzle is they are so abundantly talented that when you're that talented, and Ronnie's been on a few teams like that, when you're so good, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter what people think about you, how they react to you, because pretty much at every position, you know you're better than your opponent. And I'm actually surprised the Phillies beat them twice. They had a little snatch them back in game one. I didn't. I thought. I mean, they didn't lose a single game that I called this year. They swept the D- division series <laughs> and they swept the championship series. And man, I just I saw zero holes with that team, and um, they deserve their place. They are one of the all-time great teams, and and on this run of success, one of the all-time great franchises in this window. I mean, I I, I threw the word dynasty out there, and I think in the modern era of baseball, that applies to the Astros. You know, Doug, I haven't even posed this question to you yet. Uh, you should weigh into on what you think the Astros' place in history is. Yeah, I, I think it's, as Ronnie said, really difficult because, <clears throat> you know, I think that whenever we're in the moment, we, we try to frame it and then we don't really have the benefit of time, right? Because, you know, things will continue to evolve and change and you get new perspective. I, I think it's just been hard to... Um, frame them even around victories or, you know, based on personnel changes, manager with Dusty Baker coming in. Obviously, I had a different type of bias because Dusty coming in, knowing he was kind of like the cleanup crew, but knowing how positive he's been in the game, that it, it sort of became a different kind of reset button. But for a lot of fans, especially those directly affected 2017 teams that they beat, you know, that's going to be eternal. So if you ask a Dodger or you ask fans of these teams, I don't see there's any ever a time they're going to forgive or kind of let that go, uh, even when all those players are gone, right? It's just one of those moments that uh, are circled. And and so I'm, I'm curious of, you know, sort of Brian and Ron about, you know, I guess how is your, uh, how is your view or how you've handled discussing the 2017 and forward Astros evolved? You know, because I, I know like I've had different points of view and you kind of like, okay, Dusty will help you evolve it in another way. What have been the, really the big moments of how you frame the Astros in its evolution to how you talk about them today? And I'll, I'll start with you, Brian. Well, we we went from, um, you know, the first time this kind of came up when uh, we, we get to 19, we get to the 2020 season, and now they're good again and they're surfacing once again. Uh, it was a more extensive conversation, and it did everything that had happened to that point needed that context. And... Um, so, but I, I don't feel that way now about this current group of Astros. I, I do think Dusty Baker was a brilliant hire. So we talk about the Astros in the context of why James Click was brought in, why Dusty Baker was brought in. That situation has not been normal either. Um, they're each on one-year deals, uh, you know, and, and both of them are coming back, it, it looks like now as we record this. But 
even in the postseason, we weren't sure. You don't know. We we would talk to Dusty and ask him if he was eager to come back, wanting to come back. Why hasn't he gotten an extension? Uh, same with James Click. So, you know, there's always that little element with the Astros that um, I think from the outside, and I've got a, an older brother who's a scout with their chief rival, the Texas Rangers, so I hear his perspective a lot. But I think it is the perspective around baseball that they, that they are the team that teams want to be like and win like, but they're also the team that is in the – in the crosshairs of everything bad about how they got to this place. And so, um, you know, the, the sign stealing scandal aside, what they've done even in the middle of that with, um, with the signing of all these great players, this different kind of way to think about Latin players, not just trying to grab the best talent that are in the age, age range of 16, 17 years old, but, go for the older player and all of those guys. I mean, they've all uh, given them great dividends. So I think you got to give them credit. They, they deserve their credit. And I don't blame those affected, you know, especially the Dodgers, the Rangers, those in their division. I don't blame those ill feelings about the uh, Astros, but you have to give them credit for what they are now. And that's kind of our perspective from a national perspective is, what were they? This is what they went through. This is what they are now. And what they are now is incredibly impressive. You know, that, that's funny. Uh, after listening to Doug, I think you're right, Doug. I think uh, there's going to be a segment of the baseball population that will never, uh, ever acknowledge these Astros. They mean nothing to them. Um, that 2017 uh, kind of nullified them, the, the Astros as even an organization uh, to be trusted or treated with respect. I s- totally get it. Um, but what they've, um, what they do, what they mean to me over the course of time, we certainly have lost a lot of the, um, a lot of the cast of characters, whether it's a uh, Beltron who might not ever manage um, in the game of baseball, who had a job managing uh, before the scandal hit to uh, Cora and A.J. Hinch that lost their job and, and now are, are managing again, and, and to others. Um, I, I think you have an organization that will always be not only um, treated as a winning organization, but a notorious mm-hmm. organization as well. Um, and, that, and that's all well and fine. I think you know the history uh, will, will treat them whatever way they treat them. But um, as far as looking at what they've done as an organization, um, I I just find it remarkable uh, with everyone trying to figure out in this day and age how to do it better than everyone else with all this information, they still do it um, as well as the Dodgers. I'll put the Dodgers in the same same breath, right? Um, They, the Dodgers spend more um, but they they use all of this information and they figure it out. And they also have, um, you know, they've done it a lot of different ways. They've done it where pitchers have gotten the last 12 outs of the game. Uh, starting pitchers have done it. They've done it where uh, they've had remarkable uh, a lineup with some of the most, uh, some of the better players in the league. Um, they did it this year without really hitting. I mean, if they had hit <laughs> the way they usually hit, um, they would have run the gambit on on the World Series as well. Um, 
if if JT doesn't snatch it back in game one, that might have been four zero. You know, you know, I mean, that's kind of how good they are. And Altuve didn't hit. Uh, you can add a lot to that list. Uh, JV didn't pitch that well until game uh, five, um, but they just win. They just figure out how to do it. And uh, you know, it was Lunau's team before. He'll probably never walk in the game, uh, work in the game. Uh, it's clicking Dusty's now, and that might only be for a minute. So um, <laughs> they they are the 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 champion chameleons mm-hmm. of all time. You guys will be shocked to hear I did a little research on this, <laughs> but, but I, did a, I did a little research on this. So over the last six seasons, they've had a winning percentage of 622. That means they have played like a 101-win team for the last six years, and now they've won two World Series. We have not seen a team win two titles and have a winning percentage that high over a, any six-year period since the Yankees. But not the Yankees of 1996 yeah. to 2000. The Yankees of the 50s. Mm. So no team has done this in more than six decades. No other team besides them has done this in the expansion era. And then, well, obviously, a bunch of Yankee teams from the 20s, 30s, 40s, they did it. But yeah. it only been two other teams in the live ball era, four other teams in the World Series era, and them. Uh, so I'm, I'm really curious <laughs> how you guys react to that because obviously one of the titles is tainted. Brian, let's start with I, you. Well, I, the, when, you, when you rattle that off, um, what I think about, my first thing that popped in my mind is, and they didn't do it with the same formula for this six-year window. It, it's been a different formula. That's right. When... When they went full analytics and just it, it was, uh, you know, just the way they approached every inch of the game, um, they totally changed. And they brought Dusty Baker in. And Dusty Baker, I think, was brought in to, because they needed that goodwill. And Dusty's such a legendary figure in the game, even more legendary now. How could you get on the Astros? Because the guy who is speaking for the Astros twice a day, every day for seven months is Dusty Baker, and that turned out to be a genius stroke because they have got, I'm not saying they don't use analytics, and, and everybody does, but they are the team that didn't strike out a bunch. They are the team that put the ball in play. Contact was important. Their starters went deep in games, um, which which made their bullpen even better because they didn't have to pick up so many innings. So they didn't fool around with openers for the, you know, for the most part, they hardly did that. So when you rattle that off, it just makes me think about like the teams that sustain success are the ones that are pliable and can move a little bit. James Click is as analytics minded as it gets. And Ron and I felt real tension, good tension though, between Dusty and the coaches, the group in the clubhouse versus the front office. But I do think because of their positions, maybe, and their lack of multi-year deals, that might be the brushstroke. I don't know. I mean, you got to give, you got to give them credit. Jim Crane has found some kind of secret sauce to keep individuals without so much power, but enough power. Like Dusty told us a number of times, he goes, you know, he had his toothpick out, and he'd say, you know, I only get one vote now. I used to get all the votes. I only get one vote. But he would fight for certain things and. 
the I'll tell you the one thing that because we had him in the regular season too, and Ron and I talk about this a lot. But the one thing he fought for more than any, well, two things. Number one, that Maldonado catches their top three pitchers because their top three pitchers wanted Maldonado even though they acquired Christian Vasquez. Number two, he was adamant that Jeremy Pena hit second. Adamant. They did not want him hitting second in the front office. And they made that clear. Dusty made that clear. And while the front office won some of those, you know, measurements and let's do this, Dusty didn't relent on those two things specifically. And, I mean, Jeremy Pena, like (laughs) MVP ALCS, MVP World (laughs) Series. So... They have been dominant, and they haven't, like, had the Yankee formula in the dominant eras. It hasn't just been roll them out, this is who we are. They've actually changed quite a bit, in my opinion. Yeah, and they decide not to sign Correa. And if you look at Correa and Pena's regular season, take away the post uh, because Pena was so great. Just look at Mm -hmm. the regular season. They didn't lose too much with a rookie who's 25 years old. That, to me, is amazing. They lost George Springer, who's one of the greatest athletes in the game right now, maybe slowed by time, betrayed by the calendar. But during his postseason run with Houston, was there anyone better in the postseason as a leadoff hitter? No, nobody. They lost him. They've spent the last two years trying to replace him. They really didn't. And then all of a sudden, Chaz McCormick hits a couple of home runs um, and, and and makes a catch uh, for the ages. Uh, it their their bullpen, the fungibility of bullpens, the way they work. Um, you could get an arm lat- that pitched a season ago that was one of the worst arms in the game. They come over to Houston, and they're the setup man. Their ability to sign Latin players, pitchers, in this example, five of them, from Abreu to Valdez to Rakiti to Garcia um, to Framber Valdez, not only to sign them, but some of them they waited on and they kept an eye on and signed them at 19 or 20 or 21 years old and then developed them. Um, Those are things that I know every team is trying to do, but they're doing it better. And and Ronnie, you mentioned Dusty Baker. And um, I mean, can you talk about how you see he how he ties how he ties everything together. You know, I mean, you, you've had opportunity to play against him. You've seen him in so many different phases. I mean, you know, so what have you seen about his managerial style and how he actually is the bow on top of all of what you just described? Yeah, well, you know, I've run the gamut with Dusty, you know, from now being able to, uh, to listen to his um, wonderful poetry that he gives you really it's poetry before a game about life circumstances and how he thinks about things to pitching against a tough RBI guy to having a cold one um, uh, at probably too late an hour uh, uh, many times um, to just a general love for him and Brian had a Brian had a really interesting thought there he said you know bringing on Dusty Baker I, I think that there was no one else in the history, no, no one else alive that could have brought instant credibility to that organization, a baseball guy, than Dusty Baker. His life 
the one that he led, put him in a place and time that he was the only baseball man in the game that could save the Houston Astros. And he did it. Now, I know James Click did it and other people behind the scenes. There are plenty of people. But the face, the person in front of the public, person that has to speak to people like us, um, gave them instant credibility. I, I feel like he's almost a, a Dalai Lama <laughs> figure uh, for the game of baseball and what he represents uh, to Houston. He had the right dose of, of I understand you're mad. And over time, I hope you get less mad. Uh, but at the same time, we're going to continue to try to really play well and win ball games. It was just the right sauce he gave the public that he gave us. And uh, it, it he's the only person. And, and think about that. How many people are in the game? Uh, people, Doug, that you and I love, hold dear, know are great people. Um, I don't know if they're up. They would have been up for this job. It needed a 70-year-old man of, of, of great context, of great structure, and of great empathy um, that could have gotten this done. And I'm just, uh, I don't know, I, I'm just so happy for, um, you know, this is, I don't know how this is going to sound, but I'll say it anyway. You know, there, there was a narrative for many people about Dusty Baker and, you know, I think that in this series, I was afraid of that that narrative uh, that people love to throw on him um, would be one that would start again. And for him to win the World Series and to bury that narrative forever, and I don't, you know, I have my own reasons why he has that narrative, um, many of them obvious, maybe some not so obvious, I'm just so happy that the, the tallest man who lives his life with his shoulders back and 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 his head held strong um, will do that forever now. It's so funny because, uh, Dusty, we would go into these meetings and, you know, and every day we would be writing things down that we would want to use. Like my favorite one to this day, and I've probably said it 10 times in my own life since, <laughs> but Dusty would say, you know, we'd ask him about, hey, you're 73 and what what's your future? He goes, oh, don't let the old man in. Just don't let the, I'm not going to let the old man in. And I love that philosophy and uh, to be able to connect, you know, Jackie Robinson, Hank Aaron, you know, Dusty was in the big leagues at 19 years of age and, and he's still in the big leagues uh, in 2022 at age 73. And I know that Doug, he's had a, he's a, been a big part of your life as well. And you're, professional baseball journey too but uh i think there's so many stories like that that the players that don't really care about the past they relate with dusty because he's cool he's a cool cat and he can speak to you on a different level and then the players that want to digest history and understand it and feel it and appreciate it um and i found like a lot of the latin players with the astros really do know his history which i love about that you know they they want to know about they want to hear stories about playing with Hank Aaron and and knowing Jackie Robinson the way Dusty knew Jackie Robinson. Um, you know, all those markers of the season when things would come up. And um, I think that was a really a beautiful thing to, to watch that, you know, Dusty was freely giving that out too, but not in a way that made you feel like he was a know-it-all. Because you guys, you know, Ronnie and Doug, you, you know more than anyone that at some point there's a feeling when you take the field. 
So you can be whatever talent you are, however they've labeled you, scouted you, they put that label on you. When you hit the field, you're there because of all these things you've accomplished. But there is also those moments between a human being who is running the show and making the decisions. And I think that's where Dusty just shines. Like, it's so great. We, we would have our director constantly follow Dusty. We basically had a camera on him all the time because he's got his arm around somebody. The fact that he walks to the other end of the dugout when he wants to produce runs, like there's no <laughs> analytics mind doing that. He might as well put his hat on in a rally cap style. He's going to the other side of the dugout. But I just love those like interactions that he would have with players, especially when things didn't go well. Um, th- you know, there was a bad moment. I, the 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 images and the relationship and reaction Dusty had when Mancini made that play in Philadelphia at first base, that says it all for me. You talk about a manager that's in it with you always. That's really what separates this age, I think this wave of baseball and the analytic-minded game versus what you get down to when you're just dealing with human beings. Uh, You know, one more thing I I, want to make clear before we go, and that is 2017. Uh, we're not giving the Astros a pass for that. That's a stain that never goes away, shouldn't ever go away. But one of the things I looked at was since that year, starting 2018, they had the best record in the American League over the last five years and the last four years and the last three years and the last two years (laughs) and obviously the last one year. And so that doesn't vindicate them, but it tells us something. Mm -hmm. We've Mm -hmm. been... We've been all over that thing. Um, so wh- one last thing for you guys. What should we make of 2017 in retrospect and what people should think about it? And what's the importance of them winning a second time? Ron, you want to start th- with that one? Yeah. Um, that's a very interesting question because um, there's a lot of parties complicit in this even though they don't want to admit that they're complicit in this. Uh, Yes, it was the Astros who decided to um, do what they did and and, um, bang garbage cans to alert their players on what was coming. Um, I get it. Um, There's also uh, been some players on that team that have caught the most flack, uh, that are still on that team, caught the most flack for what happened in 2017 uh, that never did anything. Um, I think it's so unbelievable and admirable that that player has not said a word. Um, So that'll be some of the history uh, I remember. How will it be remembered? It'll be remembered like a modern day Black Sox Mm -hmm. scandal. That's kind of how it's going to be remembered. Um, if the Black Sox, after their scandal in the World Series, had won or been to the World Series six or seven times after that and won two of them, we would think of the Black Sox as this. One of the great teams of the teens, uh, teen years of the 1900s, maybe into the 20s, um, that also uh, sold their soul to the World Series. Now, the game was a little different then. There's a lot of gambling uh, going on, so um, you have to put everything into historical perspective. But if the White Sox had, after that 
cheating scandal, been one of the best teams in the game. Uh, we would think about that team and how good they were and how talented the players on that team were, but we'll probably never forget the, the selling of the World Series. I think for some, they'll think about this Houston Astros team like that. That 2017 kind of stains their uh, reputation forever to many, but you cannot deny, can't deny, the greatness of these ball clubs in so many different ways and uh, and what they've done for uh, a fan base in Houston that let's face it you know th- there wasn't 50,000 people coming to the uh, every game when they were losing a buck 15 every year so um it you know that's been a quite a complete turnaround in that city where um I don't know are they more popular than the Texans I would say a hundred percent yeah uh, football in Texas, no, no, Brian, a... more important <laughs> than, than baseball, more important than football in Texas. I mean, it's true. He's <laughs> right. And we, the, I've never seen more adult human beings wear baseball jerseys anywhere <laughs> in my life than in Houston, Texas. I did a San Antonio Spurs game in the NBA, and there were 20 Astros jerseys, two and a half hours. <laughs> so I, I, I agree with Ron. For me um, – you know, we, we all take our jobs very seriously. We love what we do. But there is something kind of interesting, funny, unique, entertaining about a scandal. There just is. So they have a scandal. That's 17. That's their scandal. I love the 1919 reference. I think that's a good one. And, you know, I'm reading, was it Shy? You probably know the story, the backstory, Jason. But I think it was Shy Park when they dug it up. Or maybe it's the polo ground, but they found a wire yeah. po- that went yeah. all the way from center field to the polo third grounds. base coaching box. Polo, yeah, polo grounds. grounds. <laughs> like, that was 100 years ago. And so, yes, <laughs> like, that's – think about the way we talk about that now. That's kind of what it is. Like, there have been all these pockets of scandal that have come up. You know, I'm way more passionate and, and upset still about the steroid era because my brother was – affected by that he didn't do it and you know would never had a chance so that that bothers me more this it it, they cheated they got caught I think most teams and I hate even like saying it this way but it's true and you guys know like everybody's doing something or trying to do something and those uh what they did kind of changed the game and how um you know I think pitchcom is a big part of that I think um the way we're looking at the game is different and so who knows but you can't put this current group in in my opinion i mean you can if you want do whatever you want it's like <laughs> it let, whatever entertains you that that's the beauty of it but for me i don't put this current group uh in the 17 group either and honestly i don't know how much 17 trash can banging really helped i'm sure it helped a little um but who knows we don't know how many players actually got the trash can uh, we don't know how many received it. There have been so many players through the history of baseball that never wanted signs, even when they had them from second base. They they went too far, the Astros, for sure. But you don't know how it affected the games. It it certainly did on some level, but just it, it has its place. And I don't really – it doesn't affect me at all. Like, I don't think about that uh, other than what we kind of have to say to for context of the team doesn't – doesn't affect me at all. I don't think uh, any less of this team right now because of 2017. 
and and Doug and and um, Jason, if you just let me finish um, my original thought, I, I didn't finish it. Um, that was my fault. I, I couldn't remember it. But um, uh, you know, baseball is complicit in some of this. You know, there were a lot of a lot of unregulated things that they were trying to introduce in the game in the dugouts that uh, we still have that they have a, honestly have to give a lot more thought to. Um, you know, whether it's the iPads or or any of the stuff that is so close related. Um, you know, there, there, there should not be phone calls to a back room to figure out whether you want to replay um, uh, something that happened on the field. That's why you get paid as a manager. Decide for yourself. I know in the booth when something looks funny, take a shot if you're so brazen and, and 100% behind what you think you saw. That would really be compelling if someone had the chutzpah to decide to do that. And um, all of the electronics um, are certainly uh, what we have uh, in the world and everywhere around us, um, but you have to be careful. And, and it was an unregulated uh, piece of time there uh, during those moments. Yeah. yeah, it's so interesting to reflect on and uh, <laughs> nobody better to reflect on it with than you two. Uh, you, you guys are so awesome. And everything you do, uh, Ronnie, I'll see you in Secaucus. Uh, Ron, sure. love listening to you uh, on the NBA. Keep up the great work, my friends, and, and, and please come back and visit us again sometime in Stark. All right, for sure. Well, for sure. thanks, th thanks, guys. Brian and I will we'll hold a standing uh, every year after the postseason. <laughs> we'll give you some reflections on on uh, don't let the old man <laughs> that's right <laughs> careful what you wish for but we will take you up on that if you're as obsessed with basketball as i am then you know there's no better time of year than the nba playoffs hey guys this is jj reddick twice a week i'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast the old man and the three i bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, Doug, here we go again. It's time for Listener Trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. And, you know, since we skipped last week's trivia segment, Doug, I, I think it's been four weeks now since we actually got a question wrong. Uh, I like it when we're not getting them wrong. It makes me think are we sure we even want to resume the questions? I don't know what good could 
come of that? Maybe we would, if we didn't invite people to ask the questions, we would never get the questions wrong. You can't beat that for logic, can you? It's a good strategy, kind of like taking the SAT or something. Um, the way I see it is, <laughs> really? I see us as undefeated. Uh, the World Series is over, so we should settle on our record of 3-0 and this October. Is that we what it was? undefeated. So in this case, if we don't get it right, it's, we'll call it a tie. And we'll just say that this was part of the winter meetings, and it doesn't count towards the regular season. And uh, hopefully there's no lockout or strike or anything like that. I, so I'm, we're good. I'm completely confused by what you just said, but that's okay. Mm. Yep. <laughs> I, I know we've been good at this lately. Uh, let's see if we can keep our streak going. So what do you say we welcome back this week's special trivia guest star? It's David Selaturo, live from Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, by the way, one of his fun little research projects actually sneaked into one of my World Series Weird and Wild columns last week. So, David, welcome back to Starkville. Oh, thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Uh, it's been a long time since the last time you were here. So why don't you tell, your, tell our listeners a little about yourself? I'm a professional baseball writer. I usually write for jaysjournal.com and fansided.com. I also cover poker tournaments. And I just love baseball. I love the history of the game. Uh that's pretty much it. I love <laughs> all that. Uh, every every single day, you see something you've never seen before. I just love that part of the game. It's something that baseball hey. has that I feel no other sport does. Well, we share that, man. That's what you're doing here. It's what we're doing here. Yeah. <laughs> it's one well, of the things that know, makes you a great follow on Twitter, uh, especially for anybody who follows the Blue Jays, all kinds of great Blue Jays tidbits all the time. And we loved your trivia question. I don't think we're going to get it right, but we loved it. So why don't you fire it at us, David? Okay. In the divisional era, only two players have ever won four World Series without winning at least one with the Yankees. Can you name them? And there's a hint here. Both of them were on the same team, kind of. And that's an important qualifier. Oh, my gosh. You know, it's funny. We've had a lot of variations of this question over the last yeah. few weeks. We had the 80s, most won, not not a Yankee. We had most games played, uh, not a Yankee. Uh, this one's really hard because it takes in, well, more than 50 years with the division play era. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Doug, I keep thinking about that hint. They were both on the same team, team. kind of? That has really thrown me off. Um, you know, I, my first thought, uh, I thought I'd figure this out. I was thinking about the the Oakland teams in the early 1970s yep. that won three in a row. Mm-hmm. And I remembered that Charlie Finley, at one point, traded Joe Rudy and Raleigh Fingers to the Red Sox in, I think it was 1976. And Bowie Kuhn voided the trade because it was such a blatant money dump um there are photos of those two guys in their red sox uniforms which they actually never played a game in and they were kind of like fake teammates there so i thought i had this figured out and then i thought well hold on a second that that was the hint that can't be right because they were actual teammates with the a's so i i definitely overthought that one so, I like it. Right? It's a good one, though. Good, good thinking, but just didn't help. Uh, all right, so why don't we analyze this? Um, it's, I, I was thinking about the teams that won three times 
in a short period of time because that would help, right? I, I just yeah. did all this research for my Astros column, so I know these things off the top of my head. The A's, 72, yep. 73, 74, right? The mm-hmm. Red Sox, 2004, 7, 13. Giants, 2010, 12, 14. But, but again, the hint is messing with me. Uh, maybe there was somebody from one of the A's teams who was a coach with one of the other teams, or somebody from the Red Sox was a coach in the Giants teams, something like that. <laughs> Could that be the hint? Were they in the same coaching staff together? Like I was trying to figure out <laughs> Alex Cora. And it was with the Red Sox, and he was... I, 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 I don't know that. I, <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think Cora's a good good guy. Yeah, but he, I mean, he didn't, I, how would he have won four? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, you know, it, well, I thought, okay, same team could be, is it like a franchise thing? You know, like the Nationals and the Expos yeah, type of thing? Yeah, but the Expos never won a World Series. Yeah. The Brewers never won a World Series. You know, the what teams about, like, that moved. <laughs> All the teams moved, never won? <laughs> no, no. So that's not helping either. Uh, so yeah, let, that, all right, let, let's keep thinking, right? Uh, A's teams. All right. Thought about A's, Raleigh, I mean, Raleigh Fingers, three yeah, A's teams. I know he went, went after the A's. Went to I, the I'm Brewers, sure but then we just said the Brewers never won. I thought about right. Ken. He went to the Padres too, and they didn't win. Right. Thought about Ken Holtzman pitched for the Orioles, Holtzman. not but not when they won, and then he pitched for the Yankees, so that disqualifies him. Okay. Right. Then I thought about the Red Sox. Okay. Kurt Schilling won twice with the Red Sox, one in Arizona, but '93 mm-hmm. Phillies lost the World Series. Then. Yeah. John Lackey. Then it hit me. Where's David from, Doug? He's from Canada. So why don't we think about the 92-93 Blue Jays, which Mm. brings us to Jack Mm. Morris. One with the Tigers, one with the Twins. Yeah. Was definitely on the 92 and 93 Blue Jays. I don't know if he pitched in 93, but I'm Mm. going to think. Let's just say he's one of them. Okay. All right, so then who would his kind of teammate be i just kind been racking of. my brains on this uh, okay. dave winfield paul molitor maybe sparky anderson brought somebody from the big red machine to the tigers in 84 maybe as a kind coach I, I, i've been uh, this this is absolutely tormented me right, the, the whole kind day of. all right help me doug i'm so confused yeah i don't know like kind of i mean is it one of those like uh they were on the same team in the same year, but someone got traded and they never played together kind of thing. You know, like a Joel Youngblood kind of thing. Yeah, but Tra- what does that mean? I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it means at all. All right, Joe Carter. Just, who are the guys on that team? You know, Danny Ainge. Was he on that team? I don't know. I think Danny was. Ainge? No. I don't, uh, <laughs> Al Leiter. Um, Al Leiter. What about him? Uh, but Bell, Barfield. Is that is that too? That's too early, right? Yeah. I don't know the Ricky was on ninety three the ninety three team. Ricky, um, mm. pitchers, uh, Pat Borders. I, I, none, none of these Tom guys. Hanky. I didn't think Dave Stewart. Like none of these guys, just none of them work. Well, the A's have won three team. times, maybe, but I. And, and th- plus, Jack Morris was on the Twins. He was on the Tigers. Like he played a freaking long time. Yeah, he did. No, that's fine. So, I like Jack Morris. I think we should just say him. All right, we are. Just okay, so we, make up someone else. Okay, here's Kirk Gibson. All right, the last time we had a question kind of like this, we guessed Lonnie Smith, who turned out to be right. He, he did right. play 
in the Three Jack more. Morris game in 91 yeah, for the other team. So I don't know how that would fit that hint, but... Did he have three World Series? Though? He only won I three. Know. I don't think he won four. But, like, I'm so stumped. I don't have a That's better a guess. I, I think we just have to wave the white flag, Doug. Uh, yeah, Jack well, Morris and Lonnie Smith, but we know it's wrong. So that's just, that's, <laughs> that's our guess, just because we have to guess. All right, David, just let us have it. So you're originally on the right guess. You do have to go back to the 80s or the 70s for Gene Tennis, so one of their players. He also won a World Series with the 82 Cardinals. And mm, snuck in there, that's right. With the Blue Jays in 92 and 93, they had Mike Timlin, who won 92 and 93, and with the Red Sox twice. Jack Moore, not yeah. pitching 93. So we go to Mike Tillman's first two World Series, the Blue Jays. The hitting coach of that team was, of course, Gene Tennis. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, of course it was. Yeah. Right, so we, Gene Tennis. I like that. Though. Okay. Okay. I, I, I mean, so, so. I, I, I was going to blame all the brain cells I burned through during the postseason for getting this wrong, but I, I had no recollection of Gene Tennis being a coach on that team. Do you? Any? No, but I love Gene Tennis, though. So, you know, I, that's, that's fun. That, yeah. Well, that's uh, but I, I was, you know, Tom Hankey. I was trying to get somebody. But I was just happy I named a couple of Blue Jays <laughs> from that era. I, I, those are good memories. <laughs> yeah, we had, a good, we had a good time beating ourselves up over this one, man. I, we, at least we kind of thought through what your hint was, but that didn't happen. Uh, whatever. Here comes the best part of this segment. Uh, the part that has nothing to do with our trivia skills. It's the part <laughs> where we bring in the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, to play another f- fabulous play-by-play clip involving this week's answer. So, Tim, you have the ultimate Gene Tennis World <laughs> Series highlight for us? We sure do. Gene Tennis was <laughs> MVP of the 1972 World Series, actually. Wow. So I had so many things to pick from. He had a huge series, four home runs, in that World Series. He was 8 for 23. That was a great series, too, about seven-game series with the Reds. Two of those home runs came in one game, game one. So we're going to go back to the second one. There's a long drive deep down the left field line. That's going. Gene Tennis has hit his second home run in this World Series game. He is not a home run hitter. He hit a two-run homer in the second. This one right down the line. Well back into the seat, and the A's lead three to two. And that's how they won it. All three runs coming off Gene Tennis homers. Uh, and I believe that was Kurt Gowdy. Yep. Am I right? You are Kurt right. Kurt Gowdy. I, I, I don't think we've had a Kurt Gowdy call on this segment, so that was fun. Uh, David, what an awesome question. It totally bamboozled <laughs> us. <laughs> so... I gotta get up. I gotta sharpen my coaching memories. Right? I gotta sharpen that. <laughs> yeah, you get you, you brought Glanville back to earth. But uh, <laughs> thanks for joining us, my friend. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, David. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Hey, you too can be part of this show, just like David Salaturo. We'll tell you how to do that in just a few minutes. Strange but true. Well, Doug, the World Series is over. But it left us lots of strange but true material for this segment. Uh, You know, I always aspire to look for something that sums up just how strange but true baseball really is. I I think I found one that did that. Really sums it up. What a weird sport. Okay, so let's think back now. What happened in Game 4 of this World Series? 
the Astros threw a no-hitter, correct? Correct. They did. Yes. Now, we can debate some other time how much it resembled Don Larson. But for the purposes of this segment, the important part is, how many hits did they give up in this game? None. But now, here comes the strange but true part. What do you think happened the very next day after a game in which the Astros gave up no hits? We'll tell you what happened. Kyle Schwarber led off the game, and then this happened. Schwarber turns on a ball, deep right field, and gone! Of course he did! Punch, counterpunch. <laughs> Can you tell Joe Davis listens to our show and reads my stuff? Of course he did. <laughs> so I'm sure you're wondering, right? How often does this ever happen? Uh, team gets no hit one day, hits a leadoff homer the next day. Okay, this has happened five other times in history, if we count the regular season. Five other times. Uh, 68 Giants with Barry Bonds, 1978s with Bert Campanaris, 1991 Padres with Darren Jackson, 2003 Giants, Ray Durham, but... Now we're going to get to the strange but true part. What do you think the last time it happened was? Uh, think about all the no-hitters through all the years. The next time it, this thing happened was Brandon Phillips, October of 2010. And if you think through what happened the game before that, oh, right, that was the last postseason no-hitter, the Roy Halladay no-hitter in the same ballpark. So think of, since 2003 and 2022, all the no-hitters, man, there's like 100 of them. And it didn't happen after any of the regular season no-hitters. It's only happened after the two postseason no-hitters, and in no other games. So, Doug, I love your thoughts on this. How strange but true is baseball? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, I mean, well, the, the Swerber moment, I mean, after you saw Javier pitch game four, you were like, the Phillies may never get a hit again. I mean, it was just, he was that good, and their bullpen was that good. And you could see the pitching swing happen, but just the fact that he answered right away just sort of told you, like, Okay, we're back. And he had, you know, some choice words about commemorating the no hitter from the night before when he got interviewed <laughs> about it. He wasn't he wasn't that happy about I it. I don't give a <laughs> <laughs> So he uh he definitely um answered the call right away to dismiss. He's like, All right, let me show you why this doesn't mean anything. <laughs> so um yeah, I mean it was cool. And I think for me seeing Schwarber respond that way, you know, knowing I I covered him at Indiana during the Super Regionals one year oh, wow. against Florida State, and he was just a great player. He was already a great professional major league hitter then, facing number one picks like Luke Weaver, facing Jameis Winston at Florida State, and, and just always five steps ahead of these guys. So mm -hmm. I was excited about his career, and so what he brought to the Phillies in that moment was was really cool, and it happened to be a strange but true moment. <laughs> yeah, it did. It just, it just, baseball's amazing that one game, can have so little to do with the previous game. Game three, Phillies hit five homers. Game four, Phillies got no hit. Game five, first batter, after they had no hits, hits a home run. And of course, that hadn't happened since the last postseason no-hitter, which also, of course, was in the same park. <laughs> Great. 
Okay, that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all off-season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read any of the sensational writing in The Athletic, I'm going to tell you how you can do that. If you go to theathletic.com slash baseball show and you're a new subscriber, you can still subscribe for just $1 a month for the next six months. But also remember, you can be part of this podcast. You can hit us with some trivia right here on this show to prove once again, there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. So you may be asking yourself, how could I do that? Well, you could email us at stuckville at theathletic.com, or you could go to the Twitter where Doug Glanville apparently is still on Twitter. Doug, where the heck are you? Uh, I am still here. Uh, actually, I might be living in Twitter. That's where I feel like uh, after, good. what, six weeks in a row we were on the road. It was glorious. <laughs> uh, it was a little tiring, a little tiring, yep. I, you know, but um, I still haven't awakened but i will <laughs> so let me try to spell my name which is hit me at doug glanville d-o-u-g-g-l-a-n-v-i-l-l-e and i think you'll find me there or you'll find me asleep on my couch yeah the highlight of every show doug glanville correctly spelling his name you don't have to spell my name only the first part of it at j-a-y-s-o-n-s-t and please hashtag the questions hashtag starkville q-s so doug Thanks for playing. Thanks to Brian Anderson and Ron Darling for visiting us. Thanks to David Salaturo for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. Uh, up next on the Athletic Baseball Show, it's DVR and Law coming up on Friday. And look, our off-season schedule will be a little different around here. Nevertheless, Doug and I will see you soon. On Starkville. Starkville.